I guess today I finished what I started last week. We, if you'll remember, were in the midst of a, a, a message called Friends with Benefits. Now, before you, if you weren't here last week, you're wondering, uh-oh, what, what happened? And we began to talk about, and I think it's very important to understand, that God has a plan for uh, men and women, husbands and wives. But what we're seeing culturally is that we've kind of adopted a different plan. And that plan involves currently more people begin living together, unmarried, than begin married. And on the surface, that might seem like a reasonable thing to do. You kind of practice to make sure you got the right person. But when you start that way, what you're doing is saying, I'm starting a relationship and I'm leaving the back door open. I'm giving myself an escape hatch. I'm giving myself a way out of this if it doesn't work. And again, you say, well, that sounds reasonable because you don't want to have that happen when you get married. But here's what, here's what we've discovered. People who begin their relationship by living together and then get married are far more likely to divorce than those who begin their lives married. Why is that? There's a psychological thing because what we've noticed in the, in the surveys is that people who begin to live together typically have more than one live-in relationship. And so there's this psychology of leaving the back door cracked, leaving a way out. And then we, what we said was that's not God's design for man and woman. As a matter of fact, God designed the sexual intimacy part of, uh, of the relationship. God designed us that way, but he designed it for marriage. And we said this, and we tried to be very honest and biblical about it, and that is that any sex that is outside of marriage, the Bible calls it sin. And when there's sin, sin needs, you need to do with, with all sin, it needs to be confessed. It needs to be repented of, and there needs to be a change of life. You remember the woman caught in an adultery. We used her as the example. Jesus did not come and just jump on her with both feet and say, how dare you be so wicked and evil. Instead, he came to her and he said, I'm not condemning you. Go and sin no more. Go and change your life. You've got a new chance, a new start. And that's what I want us to gain out of this entire series is no matter where we are right now or the mistakes that we have made in our lives, God's mercies are new every day and he is faithful. That's where we begin with an understanding that we're all sinners. None of us can throw the stone and that God is merciful and gracious to us. And he gives us a new start, a new beginning. And so today, we, last week we looked at what marriage is not. Today we're going to move now to what marriage is. And specifically we want to focus on marriage is a friendship. Marriage is a friendship. Now where in the world do you get that concept? Well, it comes straight from Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18, where God says this, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. 
God has gone through creation. He's, he's made everything, and he's made uh, you know, all the animals, all the trees, the oceans, the skies, everything. He's made, made Adam, and he's plopped Adam down in the garden. And God says, you know, it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable, fitting, right for him. Now, here's what God does, and this is pretty cool. God decides, I need to let Adam kind of figure out that he's alone. And so he parades all the animals. He says, Adam, i got a job for you. He says, uh, I want you to take, I don't know how long it would take, I want you to name all the animals. Now, don't name them Bob and Sally and Sue. No, give them names. And so Adam's got this job. God's bringing the animals. And you've got to imagine that at, at first this has got to be super fun. And so Adam's being really creative. Okay, Adam, what are you going to name this one? <laughs> Orangutan. Oh, that's cool. That's a cool name. Okay, all right, what about this little one? Let's call that one a chameleon. And he's coming up with all these cool names. And then after a while, God's bringing him an animal. He said, I don't know, dog, cat, moose, cow. He's you know, just kind of moving on down the line, getting them named. I don't know, it may have been a lot more fun than that. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. But here's the purpose. What Adam saw as all those animals came by was there was not one who was like him. He was unique. He was different. There was something special about him. And he also, as he saw those animals, I'm I'm sure he saw that most of them had mates. I don't know if God did the same thing he did with Noah and brought them two by two. I don't know. And then God does something that's pretty cool. He does the first surgery ever recorded. He puts Adam in a deep sleep. He takes out one of Adam's ribs. And from that, he forms a woman. And then he wakes Adam up. And he brings her to him. And Adam looks and he goes, whoa, man. Which is obviously where we get woman from. Probably not. But it's a beautiful story of God's creation and how God formed man and and made him this this that there was a counterpart that that man needed. And we look at this, made a helper suitable for him. Now, first of all, I want you to note something very quickly. When we see the word helper, we may not think that that's a very high position. We think, okay, a helper is someone who doesn't really know much. You're just, they're just kind of tagging along, that they're in an inferior position. But well, let, me, let me stop you right here because if you understand Scripture, I want, there's two things I want to point out. First of all, Adam has a rib removed. God could have, I mean, God's God. He, can, he, he could use no bones. He could use a foot bone. He could use a chunk of the skull. He could use whatever he wants to use. He takes a rib. Why is that significant? I think it's significant, and Jewish scholars have thought it's significant because he made someone who would be side-by-side with man, a partner in this creative process and this ruling process. He made a partner. Also, it's, it's very, very good to note that the word helper is actually used for the Holy Spirit. Well, 
The Holy Spirit's God. And so if you're using helper in relation to God, it can't be an insignificant kind of reference. It can't be superior to inferior kind of reference. And so don't what, what this text is telling us is that he made someone to come alongside Adam who was fit perfectly for him. And God put this couple together. And they were there for more than just making babies. They were there for each other. That's significant. Now, if we fast forward a little bit, there is a, a, a book that most of you may have read once or twice, and you probably your kids, you'd rather them not read it until they get out of college. It's called The Song of Songs, or in some, some books, some uh, uh, versions of the Bible, it's called The Song of Solomon. And there's an interesting reference in The Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 16, where the wife is speaking to the husband, and she says this, This is my beloved. This is my friend. What a beautiful picture of marriage. This is the one I love. This is my friend. Before we go any further, I just need to to ask you, husbands and wives sitting out there, husbands, is your wife your beloved and your friend? Wives, is your husband your beloved and your friend? I can't prove this by quoting chapter and verse, but from what I see in the garden, God's original intent is that husbands and wives be best of friends, the best friends. And you can have girls, you can have lots of girlfriends, guys, you can have lots of guy friends, but I believe with all my heart that God, God's design is not for us just to have a romantic relationship but to have a depth in that relationship, a deep, deep friendship. Because you see what happens is the flames, <laughs> that passionate flame that's burning so brightly during the courtship and those first few years of marriage, it changes just a little bit. Can I get an amen as you get a little older? It does, it, it morphs, it changes. It doesn't mean you love your, your spouse any less. It just means it changes some. And I'm convinced that, that a marriage to be successful needs two key components. One is an abiding love. What's abiding mean? That means a love that's, that's just there all the time. It's a love that doesn't exhaust, a love that doesn't run out, a love that doesn't you know, uh, run on empty. It is a love that's always there no matter whether you're up or down, whatever's going on. You need abiding love, but also a genuine friendship. Now, if you want to make it even stronger, you need one more thing who's not a thing but a person. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ to bind it together. It's a beautiful scripture in Ecclesiastes 4.12 that says a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. That third strand is Jesus Christ. And when he wraps around our marriage, it becomes strong. It's not quickly or easily 
broken. And folks, we have some great examples. Some great examples of marriages that have stood the test of time right here. A lot of people get their, um, get their relationship advice from Oprah Winfrey or Dr. Phil. Or heaven forbid, you might get it from Jerry Springer. Not good. If you hadn't figured that out. What about the people, the men and women whose marriage has had the ups and downs, has had the challenges, and has stood the test of time, who found a way to make it work, even when making it work wasn't easy? Instead of going to a shelf and buying a book or flipping on the TV and trying to find something that helps, why not look at those people in this church who've been married for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and who still love and like each other? That's important, by the way. And we've got them. They're here. And although I love to see, well, most of the time I love to see it, you know, the newlyweds, because they're all smiles and giggles, right? Yeah, they're still smiling and giggling up here. They're, you know, it's, I didn't tell them I was going to do this, but, but uh, I don't think I'll embarrass them too much. I want to tell you what touches my heart every time I go to Subway or Wendy's, and I see Gerald and Barbara Torbert sitting down and having lunch. It is, it is a beautiful thing. They have been through, they've raised, they've raised their children and uh, two granddaughters. They've been through highs and lows. They've been through a lot. They've lost family members. But they've remained faithful to God and faithful to one another. And when I go, it's not like watching two kids in line at Six Flags. That's disgusting. (laughs) They're all over each other. Man, it's like nobody else is around. Well, when Jordan Barber in line at Wendy's, it's not like that. They're up there to do what they came to do. We're ordering food. (laughs) And when they go to the table, they're not holding hands under the table and doing googly eye stuff. They're eating. And they're talking. And this is what I've discovered about their relationship. They love each other. And they like each other. And there are countless other relationships like that in this church. And if you want to know how to make your love last, if you want to know how to make your marriage last, if you want to know how to make your marriage successful and honoring to God, why not go to them instead of some friend who's been married 46 times? Okay, maybe not 46. That might be an elaboration. 46 is a lot. Why not go to them instead of checking out Dr. Phil? And there are marriages out here that are just like that. And if you went to them and said, listen, 
we, we, we kind of have struggles. We, we have struggles with our finances. Sometimes we don't get along. They're not counselors. They're not trained to do it, but, but they've been trained by, by experience. Wealth of information here. You see, love and friendship go together at every season of life. And the seasons change, but the love and the friendship only get stronger if it is bound with the cord of Jesus Christ and you're both committed. So don't fall for the fake stuff. Look for the real stuff. So really, what I want to do is I want to share with you uh, four principles, four truths, four, they told me in seminary, you never say four things, but four things to make your marriage friendship last. And here we go. First of all, don't settle for romantic love. Whoa. You mean there isn't supposed to be romantic love? Didn't say that. I said, don't settle for that. And they lived happily ever after. It's very good in fairy tales. But anybody who's been married for any time at all knows that ain't necessarily true. There's a lot of ups and downs that come with marriage. There's a lot of challenges that come with marriage. There are a lot of difficulties. Life is challenging. Marriage is challenging. And you see, we don't all start marriage as princes or princesses. We start marriage as ordinary people with our baggage. We bring stuff with us. And then we have to figure out how together to sort through it. Now, we'll warn you, if you choose not to open your baggage because you're afraid you're going to be rejected, you are asking for trouble. I would suggest that you might even give your, 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 your your future spouse maybe a sneak peek of some of your issues before you get there. Because once you said, I do, what you're saying is, I'm taking you with your baggage. Does that make sense? I mean, if you were going on a honeymoon cruise, you wouldn't say, honey, you can come, but leave your bags behind. When you're getting married, you don't say, honey, you can come, but leave your baggage, your history, your past, leave it behind. No, that comes with it. And so we need to understand that it's got to be more than romantic Love, more than these feelings of happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Going into a marriage with pure bliss as your goal will leave you dissatisfied and disillusioned. Marriage is not a fairy tale. Romantic love, physical attraction, they're important, but they're not all important. Feelings ebb and flow. And I try to tell couples in pre-marriage counseling, there's going to be days you wake up and you look over at that person laying in bed next to you, and they're snoring, and their hair's all messed up. Maybe you had a little bit of a disagreement the day before, and you're going to ask yourself, what did I get myself into? And how do I get out of it? The feelings come and go. Some days you feel more love for your spouse than other days. You know what else? With the exception of my wife, (laughs) faces get wrinkles and body shapes change 
I'm surprised I didn't get old Passover amens on that one. For me... For marriage to work, you can't be in love with the idea of love. For marriage to work, you've got to be in love with the person to whom you're married. You've got to find them as attractive on the inside as you find them on the outside. If your idea of love is what you see in the movies, if your idea of beauty is what you see on the cover of People magazine, you will never have a marriage or a spouse that measures up. Never. It's got to be more than the romance, the passion, the fireworks, the feelings. That's why in a wedding ceremony, I share the true definition of love. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It, is not, it, it, not, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Go for that. Don't just settle for romance. Go for this kind of love because this kind of love lasts. Second, don't make the children your top priority. What? I thought the kids were supposed to be number one. No, the Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. It tells us to nurture them and and to care for them and to put our best effort into them, to, to put our, our time and our tears and our prayers into the lives of our children. But here's what you don't want to happen. When your kids are grown and gone, you don't want to look at the person you're married to and wonder, why did I say I do? We've got nothing in common. We've got nothing to talk about. We're just existing in the same house. And it's amazing the number of marriages that break up shortly after the kids have left the house. Because the parents realize everything was poured into those kids. We were partners in raising the kids, but we were never partners in our marriage. Let me tell you, let me plead with you. Be your wife's best friend. Be your husband's best friend. Talk communicate, walk, take vacations together. Don't do it all for the kids. The Apostle Paul quoted Genesis in Genesis 2. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. In other words, the marriage relationship becomes your primary bond your primary relationship in life. Parents, your children, this is what they need. They need the stability that comes from unity in your relationship and the example that comes from your undying commitment to one another. That's what children need. We think they need stuff. We think they need, be, you know, take them to this and take them to that and do this and do that for them. What they really need, what they really need is a mom and dad who love each other and stick it out. Now let me put a bookmark here. Come back to this. 
We do not live in a perfect world. There are no perfect parents. There are no perfect relationships. Sometimes things happen. Maybe we caused them. Maybe we didn't cause them. Maybe our spouse caused them. I want you to remember, think with me back to the first message that we did in this series. And if you remember the graphic, there was a circle that had God's ideal, which was God's will for our lives. And then out here, there were some little, little boxes. And that kind of represented where we are. Sometimes we do find ourselves in the center of God's will, but oftentimes we're out of the center of God's will. But here's the question. It's not, you know, we don't lose our salvation when we get outside God's will. We, we, don't, we don't become bad people when we get outside God's will. We're still saved. We still belong to him. But here's the question. Is our life moving toward that will. There are times that we get knocked out of kilter by the circumstances of life. There are times when an, when an affair in a relationship or times when, you know, couples grow apart, uh, you know, for whatever reason and things get messed up. And I mean, they can get really messed up. But once you're back on your feet, what are you doing? Are you hanging out there in orbit somewhere? Or are you saying, no, I want to move. I want to move my life more in line with the will of God. Last week, you remember, we, if you'll remember, if you didn't go back and get the, get the CD or, or, or let's do it online. Last week, we, we talked about a, a situation that Paul addressed in the church in Corinth where a man was living with, was sleeping with his stepmother. And the church was celebrating it. Woo! That's cool. And Paul got ticked off. This is not the way Christians ought to live. And so Paul says, we've got to deal with the situation. We've got to come alongside this situation. Why? Because this person was outside of God's will. And instead of saying, I need to confess, repent, and move my life in the right direction, they just celebrated being outside of God's will. And that's not what we need. That's not what we want. It's not what we want to encourage. The whole point of this, of course, is to recognize that God is able to put the broken pieces of our lives Back together. And that may look different. It may look different than it did when it started. But he can take those broken pieces and put our lives together and get us moving back in the direction of his will. Because God, as I said earlier, God's mercy is new every day. And he's faithful. So don't make your children your top priority because you need to make your spouse your top priority. And that goes contrary to everything you're going to hear out in the culture. But if you don't make your relationship with your spouse a top priority, you're going to find you're living with a stranger when the kids move out. Third, be selfless. Be selfless. As Paul begins his instructions to families, he starts with this statement in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence. Christ. Paul says that before he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now we know, because if you've been in this church any time at all, you know that we value servanthood. We value serving one another in the life of the church. We value serving one another in our community. And you've heard Romans 12, 10 out of my mouth more than once, which says, be devoted to one another, 
honor one another above yourselves. And we try to take that and apply it in the church life and apply it in the community life. The question we have this morning is, do we apply it in our home life? Are we honoring our spouse above ourselves? Because that's what it means to be selfless. Self, selfishness is driven by pride. Selfishness is driven by pride. It says, it says, I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. Selflessness is driven by humility, which says Jesus is best of all. And he's told me that I serve him by serving you. Marriages develop the deepest friendships are those that have the humility to serve one another. To put the needs of the spouse in front of their very own needs. That goes against the, the, the nature, the flesh. That we, It goes against that because, you know, we, left to our own devices... We'd be having a little, one of those foam fingers that says, I'm number one. Left to our own devices, that would be it. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're not number one. I'm number one. See, he can do that. He can have the foam finger. He's good. Because he is number one. But then he says, you know what? Your spouse, your kids... The other people I call you to serve, they're number two. You're number three. Now, that doesn't mean you don't look after yourself. That means you don't eat right, exercise, do all those things. It just means that when it comes to priorities, we have to serve our spouses out of humility. Imagine how your marriage would be if you tried to outdo one another in loving and serving each other. Just imagine how it would be. Now, actually, it could get kind of weird. Do you remember the Looney Tunes commercial where they had the little chipmunks? And, and they were so polite. No, 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 after you. No, 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 after you. We don't want it to get like that, okay? Eventually, somebody's got to go. Just get down the hole. Well, serious. I mean, you can't just stand there and do that all the time. It'd be kind of weird. Guys, Listen. There's nothing wrong with taking out the trash without being asked. Seriously, there isn't. You need to find those things. Here's what I learned. I learned it because Nancy told me. (laughs) That's a good way to learn. Sometimes I listen. At night, if I'm getting up to go to bed, before she's ready to go to bed, then she'd like me to do three things. Check to make sure the door's locked. See if the dishwasher needs to run. And turn on our heated mattress pad. <laughs> what are you laughing about? Serious. I told you that things change after you've been married a while. Now, listen. What's the big deal? If it's important to her, it ought to be important to me. 
and the, and the shoes on the other foot. There are things that are important to your husband, that wives. You need to say, okay, it's not costing me that much to do this. But it shows so much that I love them and care them because I serve them. You need to start practicing. Because there may come a time in your life when you have to serve like you've never served before. When you have to put their needs completely ahead of yours. So start practicing. Let me give you one more and then we're going to close. Be doggedly devoted. I figure that's, since we're just south of UGA, that would come in handy. Let me quote again from Ephesians 5.31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That word united is also translated as cleave or hold fast. This expresses far more than a casual commitment to your husband or wife. This is an all-in kind of thing. Marriage is worth fighting for. It is not disposable. Before a couple ever says, I do, they need to be sure that the I do doesn't have an expiration date. Remember we talked about the back door being open. Not every marriage ends up the way you want it to be. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you have wounds from that, okay? The person you were marrying didn't turn out to be quite the person you thought they were. And quite, quite frankly, when we're, when we're dating, we do kind of put our best foot forward. And then after we're married, we find out that that foot, foot smells and it hadn't been washed in a while. It's okay when the shoe was on. People quit trying. And marriages fall apart. Listen, that happens. But when you go into a marriage, you need to say, okay, I'm closing the back door. I'm double bolting it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to seal it up. It doesn't mean it it won't ever break through. But I'm going to do all that I can to have a marriage that lasts. A marriage that honors God. Now, if both people are on board with that, you're in, you're, you're in. But it does take both people. And the church has a responsibility to step in and address this. In my grace group on Wednesday night, I asked him, I said, have you ever heard a message that addressed the situation we talked about last week? And they said, no, not in church. Why? Folks, we've got to be honest. We've got to tell people that marriage matters. And then when people's marriages don't work, we need to be able to come around them and support them and encourage them and remind them that God's mercies are new every day. And God's not going to stop being faithful. We live in a fallen world. We're governed not always by the right motives. We don't all do the right things. And, and some of you have found yourself in places because of either your decisions or decisions that other people have made 
where you do not have a purely perfect decision that you can make. Anybody ever been there? It's not necessarily choosing the lesser of two evils. It's just that if I'd made different decisions or my spouse had made different decisions or, or whatever, then, then I could make a perfect decision. We live in a messed up world. And therefore, often, the decision we make may be the best that we can make as we're guided by the Holy Spirit and guided by Scripture. But perhaps it could have been better had I made decisions earlier. I'll throw this out. And here's just an example. It doesn't have anything to do with marriage necessarily. But it's something that as Nancy and I look back, we say, boy, if we'd have done that, how much easier our lives would have been right now. If after we got married and moved out and finally uh, got, got work, you know, we were employed, and we started putting aside just $100 a month, and that sounds like a lot when you're first married. So you could even start with 10 bucks a week and work your way up. But if we started putting, together, putting aside 50 to to $100 a month, in a, a, you know, a, a good investment. When we came to 65, 70 years old, there'd be a good bit of money there. I haven't done the math, and obviously markets go up and down, but, I mean, you could have well in excess of a million bucks. And so what am I doing right now? Nancy and I, we, we got to play catch-up, right, like as many of you do. But what do I want my kids to do? I want my kids to start early. I want my kids to put it aside early so that later in life it'll be there for them and give them that freedom to do what God's calling them to do. We sometimes put ourselves in a position where we don't have a perfect choice. So we make the best choice as we're guided by Scripture and the Holy Spirit. And we trust in, rest in, the mercy and grace of God to make up the difference. If you remember from the first message, when we started pulling out those statistics, we said there's an X factor. The X factor is Jesus Christ. The whole equation could spell doom and gloom, and you put Jesus in the middle of it, changes it completely. I'm here to tell you that's true for you today. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. There's some of you that have found that, and you know a friendship with God. And there's some of you that haven't found it, and you desperately need it. You need to know God as Savior and friend. You can receive Him and become His friend today. He's waiting for you. There's some of you who need friends within the life of the body of this church. This morning early, got a call from Clyde Carter that his mom had passed away. And as I was driving to the hospital, I was thinking of all those people who have been blessing them pouring into their lives, ministering to them and being ministered to by them. Here in the life of this church, you can develop friendships, 
based on a relationship that we have in common with Jesus Christ. You need that. You need the friendship with God. You need the friendship of believers, fellow believers in the church. And if you need to be a part of the life of this body, there's no better time than now to start. Let me also encourage you, get plugged into a small group if there's any way possible. Because that's where your friendships will grow deeper and deeper and deeper. We've come to the end of this. Let me tell you where we're going the next week. We're going to cram a lot into a small space. We're going to talk about marriage as a commitment. We're going to talk about marriage as a covenant. And we're going to talk about marriage as a witness. So we're going to cram a lot into a small space next week. But it's important to understand not just what marriage isn't, but what marriage is.